Good morning. Wow, I have a deep voice today. Beautiful spring day. Yeah, I noticed that I dressed in black and white today. I'm sure there's a subtle message that we're, we're getting into the Word. We're going to be very black and white. You know, I was realizing, uh, I was talking with Tommy this morning earlier, and I was just realizing that we have a focus that is fully Word and fully Spirit. And that some people from a more Pentecostal background like that part of it, and some people from a less Pentecostal background like the word part of it. But what that probably means is no matter what your background, you're probably a little bit uncomfortable with one part of it. <laughs> and uh, that's just part of us wanting to be biblical in all our approach. How do we do that? How do we, as people from different backgrounds and different uh, things that we're comfortable with, the real key is that our focus is Jesus in our worship. You know that unity is based on Jesus. No matter what our doctrinal beliefs are, we can be united in worshiping Jesus. We're not united around a doctrinal belief. We're not united around a certain expression. Though I have to admit, I really do like a building that's open and light and bright. Uh, going to keep an eye on Paul Smith, who's going to stare out the window while I'm preaching. <laughs> I did a class years ago, and the first class, it was in the evening, I brought a tennis ball, and I set it on the podium. And uh, the class went to about 9.30, and about 9 o'clock, there was somebody who happened to be sitting in about the seat that Paul's sitting in, who was starting to fall asleep, so I took that tennis ball, and I threw it at him. And then the next week, when I came, I set a baseball on the podium. <laughs> Nobody fell asleep. That'd be great if the story ended there. But the third week of the class, I came and as I got up to share, I got hit with about 200 tennis balls. <laughs> so, uh, hence I'm not setting a tennis ball on the podium. You know, it's, I love the word. I love worship. I love the presence of God, but I love the word. And I was realizing that all the word is good. I could virtually share anything, and it's good. That's kind of my get-out-of-jail-free card, that if it's the word, it's good. No. But there is another deal, which is trying to be in step with the spirit. And sometimes the emphasis emphasis of the Spirit has to do with warning of things that we don't even know is coming or preparation for what he's doing. Or sometimes it's just his care for us. And so in trying to be fully word but fully spirit, we want to bring those together. Last few weeks, a lot have been said about not compromising with the world. Romans chapter 2, chapter 12 Verse 1 and 2. Before we, I read that, I, I can never read it without reading what goes before it because he makes this whole thing about the verse 33 of chapter 11, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, 
how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom glory, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And then he says, now I beseech you, therefore, because of the greatness of God, I beseech you to present your, uh, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable when we realize who he is and what he's done for us. And then it's not something that is unreasonable. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be squeezed into the world's mold. That's been the message for the last number of weeks. Seems like the Holy Spirit's saying something about the world trying to squeeze us into a mold that isn't like Jesus. It's a reminder, but there's also a lot in the Bible and in the last few weeks about warfare. We're in a war. 1 Timothy 1.18. I'm going to just look up and read it because you guys are way too quick. I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. Some of us don't like scriptures about warfare. There seems to be a good warfare and maybe a not so good warfare. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural or fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have weapons for warfare. Nehemiah 4.20, we read last week. When they're attacked, he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. There's something of the, the Christian life that is recognizing that Jesus has redeemed us and has done it all, and then it's living a different way of thinking. It's living in this kingdom that puts us at odds with the world around us. And so there is a battle, not for salvation. We're not fighting for redemption. We're not fighting for acceptance and of, from God. It's already been done. But there is this thing of, of a warfare against the world's trying to, to pressure us or, or squeeze us into a certain mold. Where am I getting to? <laughs> we had a great time last week that I was kind of overwhelmed seeing the men that were gathered in front and realized that there was something more powerful, I think, in the spirit than we realized. 
But I was asking myself this week, what are we fighting for? The Bible's very clear that we're in a spiritual battle, but it's a whole lot more than what we're fighting against. We're not just fighting not to get pressured into the world's mold. We're not just fighting against the, uh, the values and the, the, the uh, language of the world and the way the world works. We're fighting for something. And I think the first thing, pretty obvious, is that we're fighting for our family. That's what Nehemiah 4 says. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. There is something of the battle that we're involved in that doesn't just affect us, but it affects those around us. It affects those that come after us. And we need to keep that in mind. Something in our culture says, it's all about you. You just make a decision for you, but the Bible's very clear that there's more, my decisions affect more than just me. Now, you all know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But I want to throw in a, a, an idea that there's also a bigger family. I'm going to throw a couple of scriptures at you real quick. Galatians 6.10 It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good, especially to those who are the household of faith. That word household can also be translated family. There is a bigger family we're a part of. Ephesians 3.15. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I love that. Acts 16, 30 to 33. I think I uh, was singing too loudly. That's why I have this deep voice today. <laughs> Talking about uh, the Philippian jailer, and he brought them out. And, said, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour that of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his families were, were his family were, were baptized. There's something of a bigger sense of what we're involved in that's more than just us individually. Why, you might ask. Bottom line is that we need each other. We're part of, God puts us together as a family because we need each other. None of us have the full expression of God by ourselves. Ephesians 3.19 says this, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you, that word you is plural, may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you use, you all, if you're southern, from the southern part of America, you all, that you all may be filled with the fullness of God. That word fullness means full measure, full complement, or completion. 
It's used of a cargo ship with a full crew and a full uh, cargo ready to go. There's something of the fullness of God that we only experience in the family. Now, that's not, not saying you don't experience the presence of God on your own. I quite often will have times alone with God where I'm overwhelmed by his presence. But there's something about all the differences, all the different personalities, all the different expressions, all that stuff coming together. One more. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 16. We often read uh, Ephesians 4 in the the gifts that Jesus gave and the equipping of the saints. But it says this, talking about unto the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What does that mean? It just means this. We're all in this together. We're all players on the field, not an audience. We're all followers of Jesus, not fans. We're all carrying weight. We're not consumers. That was a little subtle dig at the uh, footy playoffs. <laughs> Someone said, you, you watch football? And this is, he was talking about American football, so the numbers don't work a bit. He said, American football, there's 22 guys on the field desperately in need of arrest and 50,000 people in the stands desperately in need of some exercise. I, I'm not anti-football, please. Let's <laughs> see, one of the dangers of our entertainment-oriented culture is that we can easily become watchers and not doers. There is a pressure in our culture, and it's a subtle thing that begins to affect us that we can live vicariously through others. We can get behind our favorite team or we can watch someone else do it or we can listen to great exploits of of things that even that God's doing in other parts of the world and while that's a blessing to us, the subtle pressure of our culture is that we find our comfort in being watchers and not doers. And then we just kind of settle down into no longer fighting. Let's let someone else fight for us. I think it'd be good if we could elect Johan as our representative and let him do the fighting for us. We actually have a precedent of that in the Bible. Israel was paired off against the Philistines They were going to do this battle there on two sides of a hill with a valley in the middle, and the Philistines sent their champion, the guy that represented them. He was a big guy named Goliath. 
And he said, send me your champion. Send me Johan. <laughs> and there was this concept that they would fight representing the armies. Yeah, we don't actually want to get into this. Let's just send someone else. But nobody, as you know the story, none of the Israelites actually were willing to go fight this guy until this young shepherd came who actually had no weapons. He didn't have weapons that were natural. The weapons of our warfare are not natural. What did he have? He had some very simple skills. And so they tried to fit him with armor to protect him because they thought, well, this crazy guy's gonna go fight this, this giant. I'm sure that they were thinking, while they're into this, this guy's gonna get killed, but while they're into this, we'll sneak up around the, the flanks and attack the Philistine army because they weren't, no way were they actually expecting David to win and no way were they actually gonna submit to the Philistines if he lost. Not that Johan wouldn't win. He always does. And so you know the story. He went and God used what little he had. He had a rock and a sling. How, much, how often does the enemy say, hey, you don't have enough? You're not skilled enough. You're not capable enough. You're not big enough. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough something. All you have is a rock. And we look in the natural and we say, I can't fight. But God says, we're not fighting in the natural. We're fighting in the spiritual. And I'm actually fighting with you. And a rock is, is enough. Or a couple of loaves of bread is enough. Or a word that you feel like that you should share is enough. Or a word of knowledge that you don't quite understand is enough. Or simply sowing a seed of the gospel is enough. Because the gospel is powerful. Sorry, I got off, off my notes there. Not only are we fighting for family, we're also fighting for freedom. But you have to hear me on this before you run off on some crazy side thing. In uh, Luke chapter four, Johan actually quoted this to us in, uh, as we started prayer this morning before the service. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus gets up in the, uh, the temple. They hand him the book of Isaiah and he opens to this scripture. They didn't hand the scripture to him, he chose it. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Three very clear things. Preach the gospel, heal, and set free the captives. I think for much of the church, one of the messages at the equip that we were at a few weeks ago was that we've ignored, to a large degree, the third leg of the stool of liberty. Deliverance. Getting set free. Why do we need to get set free? Because we need to change how we think. But see, the enemy's ploy is to make us captive or or get us bound in a number of things, a number of ways he does that. One of the ways is through our experiences or hurts, things of the past. And then we end up reliving those over and over and over and over again. Mary's been reading an interesting book by uh, Caroline Leaf, and it talks about uh, how we change the way we think. We get neuro superhighways in our brain that become habits, and the process of changing that can literally change the cells in our body, in our chromosomes, and ultimately our DNA. That the research that they're finding is absolutely amazing. What I'm saying is that how you think not only affects you, it affects your offspring. Uh Uh-oh. Sorry, kids. If we live in past hurts, we can become stuck in bondage. That's not to downplay those hurts, but to realize that God wants to set us free. But you know, we can also get in bondage when we have wrong understandings about God or ourselves. If we believe things that aren't true, John 8.32 says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I believe the converse of that is that if you believe untruth, you'll remain in bondage. When I was young, when I was a child, I had a terrible temper. And uh, I would get angry and get in fights and beat up my brothers and do all kinds of not very nice things. And... uh, I was told that I had inherited that from my grandfather, who had a bad temper. And so I saw things around me as the circumstances that set my temper off. So if someone did something that was wrong, I would really get angry. And uh, I got into a number of fights on the basketball court, I played basketball when I was in uh, college, uh, sorry, in high school, and I got in quite a number, can't, you can't imagine that, can you? No, <laughs> never. But I did, and I realized that it wasn't honoring God after I got saved, but it took me quite a while, and I finally had to come to a real understanding. 
Holy Spirit said to me, nobody makes you angry. You choose to get angry. So as long as I believed that I was controlled by circumstances outside me, I had no ability to change. I was bound. As long as I blamed the circumstances. It was only when I began to to see after I got saved and filled with the Spirit that God can empower me to make different choices. I'm saved, but I'm being saved. I'm justified in Christ, but I'm being sanctified in the Spirit. You still with me? But see, the other thing that can keep us bound is habits that become addictive. We do things and we do it enough that it becomes a habit. And it becomes a way of thinking. It becomes an expectation and we think it's normal. And we're going to get to some of these more in the weeks to come. But I just want to say that God's heart is that we're free. God's heart is that we walk in that freedom that we have in him so that we can be participants in what he's doing. What does this mean for us today? And I'm going to get very direct here. Three things. But the first one is this. I'm going to ask you, are you looking to change? Are you looking to be changed? Transformation means change. Do not be conformed to, be, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind it means we have to change. Being conformed to the image of Christ means we have to change. How many of us are already exactly like Jesus? Except for Johan. <laughs> but the reality is, most people don't want to change. Uh-oh. Most people think they don't need to change. Everyone else needs to change. The problem's not me, it's everyone. The problem's not me, it's, it's Mary. If she would just change, I'm kidding. She's Mother Mary. (laughs) I read an interesting article this last week. And it stated that most people are looking for a church that just reaffirms what they already believe. We have a checklist. And we go through and we go through the checklist. Where where do they stand on this and where do they stand on this and where do they stand on this and where do they stand on this? And eventually, in almost any church, you get far enough down the checklist, you're going to find that we don't agree on everything. 
And so then they say, ah, I'll go somewhere else because I'll find one that agrees with me. Probably not. How are we added to a church? Jesus adds us. If you're looking for a church that agrees with everything you already believe, then you're probably going to be disappointed. You're going to find out that I'm a bit of a heretic. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. But it depends on, on what your system of belief is. Or you're going to find someone else who is. Someone who disagrees with you. How do they let Steve in this church? He's not like Johan. He's actually more like, no, more like Jesus. But the question is, are you looking to change? Are you saying, Holy Spirit, transform me? Second question for you is, are you pressing on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Which comes from Philippians 3, which you probably already know. But from, uh, from verse 13, Paul says, Brother, I do not count myself as having apprehended, talking about uh, laying hold of Christ Jesus as he'd been laid hold. I haven't quite got to be just like Jesus. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward for those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. What's he saying? Maturity says, hey, we're still growing. We're still teachable. We're still being discipled. We're still being conformed to the image of Christ. We haven't quite got there yet, but we haven't settled down and given up either. There is a pressing forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The opposite is that we fall into passivity. Ah, just go along to get along. Don't rock the boat. You don't want to swim against the current. We live in a world, we live as part of a kingdom of God in a world that is totally opposite, that is trying to, to squeeze us into its mold. And if passivity enters our hearts, if we go with that attitude that I won't rock the boat, I won't swim against the current, we have no ability to withstand the conforming of the culture. I'm only yelling to keep you awake. I want to ask you, have you fallen into passivity? I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I don't think you are or you wouldn't, probably wouldn't be here. But I think there's something in the heart of God as we move forward that we're going to see a more and more of an onslaught 
of the culture against the church. More and more of an onslaught of the values of the culture that is going to try and squeeze us into a mold that's going to stop us from declaring the good news of Jesus, going to stop us from, uh, from walking in the, the plan and the purpose of God as much as possible. And if we've settled down, we're going to miss out. Here, let me ask you the last question as we come to a close. Has Jesus added you here to this church, to this family? If so, we need you. We won't have the fullness of God without what you add. And we're fighting for you, and we need you to fight for us. Has he added you here? If you're still waiting to hear from Jesus about whether he's added you here, let me encourage you, do it quickly. Because we need you. Let me say this. Jesus never intended us for, intended any of us to fight this warfare alone. He intended us to be knit together. That was his plan. Let me say it this way. In fact, you can't fight it alone. The ploy of the devil is that I don't really add anything, so it doesn't matter whether I'm added or not. So I'll just come along every once in a while and kind of get a blessing. That's not God's plan, but the other ploy of the devil is that I can have this life, just me and Jesus by ourselves. Again, I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here. And so, uh, but let me tell you, you're surrounded by people who have been lied to and are believing an untruth of, of the enemy. One of the things that happened after COVID is a lot of people hesitated to get plugged back in, in churches. And part of that was a fear of, of sickness, but part of that was a ploy of the devil that said, hey, I can do this at home alone. I can just watch something on YouTube and I don't have to connect with people. In fact, I don't have to put up with people. In fact, it's a whole lot more comfortable and a whole lot more peaceful if I don't go around those other guys. And the ploy of the enemy is to get us isolated. Now again, you're here, so I don't know why I'm preaching this except that I felt like God said something to me. Acts 2 says, Jesus added to the church those who are being saved. There's something about recognizing that God's knit us together as family, that we fight for one another. It's encouraging to know that I can trust Richard's fighting beside me. 
He's a warrior. Okay. Shut up, Russ. Are you looking to change? Are you pressing forward? And are you added by God here? Because if you're added by God here, we need you. And we need you not to be an observer, but to be a participant. Could you uh, stand? Those kids are having a great time over there. I think they figured I was uh, speaking too loud, so they wanted to drown me out. There's a whole lot of things happening in the world and in the spirit of prophetic things of God saying that he's pouring out his spirit in a a new way, impacting the world around us. Uh, Revival, we sang in one of the songs, pour your spirit out, revival happening. That's not just for us, but that's for the bigger picture. And I think in preparation for that, God's just making some minor adjustments in us. But if he is, would you allow the Holy Spirit to do that in you? Would you respond to him? I'm not trying to uh, convince you. When my voice gets loud and I get passionate, as someone told me last week, don't apologize when you get passionate. And the reason I do that is because I'm from America and that the, uh, the belief there is that if you yell loud enough, then you're anointed, <laughs> which is not true. And so I'm not trying to convince you that I'm anointed. I just get passionate. And so I'm not going to apologize for passion, but I just sense that there's something of God making some adjustments. And uh, will you just take a moment? You know, the parable of the sower says that the seed is sown, the word is sown, and then immediately the devil wants to steal it. And for some, it's sown, But it falls on hard ground and it never takes root. We have a different belief. For some, it falls and it actually takes root and it begins to grow. But it gets smothered by the cares of the world. It never actually begins to bear fruit. And I believe what happens is that even in a setting like this, you can hear truth and the Holy Spirit can speak something. But if we don't take a moment and respond, we go away. And then you hear another teaching, and then you listen to something else, and you see something else, and pretty soon, never respond to that. So just take a moment. Bow your heads, if you would. I'm not trying to uh, labor something to convince you of something. I'm just sensing that there's something of God putting his finger on something in in preparation for what he wants to do. Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us in truth. You're also the expression of a loving father who's not angry, not upset, but in your love and goodness, you often prepare us Adjust us. You actually say in your word that you discipline us 
in your love for what's best for us. So we just want to take a moment and respond to you before we're dismissed. And say, Holy Spirit, would you speak? And make the adjustments that we need for the future. Lord, I have to admit, I don't even understand what all this means and where we're headed, but I trust you. And I trust your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the, uh, the wonderful sense of uh, your blowing wind of God amongst us today as we've gathered, as we've worshiped. Now I ask that you pour your grace upon each one of us as we walk with you through this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, there's some coffee and tea on the other side. Oh, sorry. My wife's reminding me of something that was in my notes that I totally forgot. Uh, we do a regular uh, just time of people being able to ask questions. We call it added to the church based on Acts 2. And uh, I'd like to do that uh, on Sunday the 17th, which is actually next week. For those of you, that's why I say be quick. For those of you who might say, hey, is God adding me here? You might have some questions, any question. We do that at our house. And then we're going to have an opportunity the, the week after that for people who really feel like that, that God's adding them. So I want to encourage you, if you've been coming along and you have some questions, uh, if you want to find out how we function or, or what are our stance on certain things that are issues for you, please come along. Why do we do this? Because the average for, for the average around the world, it takes people nine or ten months to figure out whether we've got some weird, the church that they visit has some weird belief. And so we want to just help you do that, get through that quickly. Find out our weird beliefs. Uh, we actually do it at our house because uh, every seminary in the U.S. teaches pastors don't ever have people to you in your home. They teach that for two reasons, that you need a place of refuge, but also the belief is that if they see what you're really like at home, they'll lose respect for you and they'll leave. So we invite you into our home so you lose respect right up front. <laughs> and then if Jesus is adding you, it's not because of some image that, that we present. And so we do that at our home. So that would be next Sunday at 3 o'clock at our house, which is 13 Columbus Drive in Blackstone Heights. And so we would love to uh, have you come along if you haven't. And if you have any questions, any question is uh, acceptable. I don't mind questions. Uh, and sorry, I, I meant to say that earlier. Now we could be dismissed and go have tea and coffee. And... Uh, have a great blessed day.